us to Romans chapter 11. If you're new with us this week, welcome. We are walking together through the book of Romans. We're at chapter 11 now, and we're at the basically the conclusion of a very long part of, of an argument. Um, Paul has been asking the question for some time now, all the way back to the beginning of chapter 9, what about the Jews? Um, how come so many have not believed? He himself is a Jew. Obviously, uh, the first 12 disciples were Jews. A large segment of Jerusalem came to know the Lord right after Pentecost. Um, however, uh, percentages-wise, there were many, many, many Jewish people who did not see Jesus Christ as Messiah. And you look, you know, fast forward 2,000 years, there are so many Jewish people today uh, who still do not recognize Jesus Christ as Messiah. And so this is still a question that's pertinent to us. The, the nation of Israel is in the news right now, uh, thick and heavy in the middle of another, in, in another war. Uh, it seems like so many people want to see Israel destroyed, right? So, I mean, this is just news and there's lots of questions. Well, how are we supposed to look at all of this right now in 2023? What is our context and how should we respond to the Jewish nation, the Jewish people? All these questions abound. Paul's dealing with one particular question, and that's their salvation. And so we're going to follow that line this morning, hopefully to its conclusion. Next week, Pastor Don's going to preach and talk about how we should respond to that in the very last section of chapter 11. But if you would, um, read with me, starting at verse 11. We're just going to look at verses 11 and 12 first. Uh, Paul says, he asks, I ask, then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, if their transgression brings riches for the world and their failure, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring? So that's the, it's not even a question, it's a statement, sorry. Uh, there's an exclamation at the point, at the end there. Uh, so what is he saying in this first section? Have they stumbled, stumbled so as to fall? What does he mean by that? Has, has Israel gone so far astray from Messiah that there's no coming back? Is there no hope for the Jewish people now that they have abandoned Jesus as Messiah? And he says, absolutely not. Instead, what the Gentiles have received in the abundant grace of his salvation, what the Gentiles are now experiencing are, are, should, should, are, is acting in some weird supernatural spiritual way to provoke um, Jews into jealousy, into an understanding one day of proper Messiah. That, that the Gentiles receiving salvation is, is a way in which God is going to use in His eschatological plans, His fulfilling plans, to bring Israel back to Himself. If their transgression brings riches for the world, that's the Jewish people. If the Jewish people's transgressions bring riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring? Paul says there is going to be an impactful percentage of Jews in the end days who are going to come to the Lord. That the abundant grace of God on the Jewish people is going to pour itself out onto the Jewish people said the Gentile first, the Jewish next, and that this is going to be the fulfillment of all of his plans 
there's going to be a fullness in the end times that is not even comparable to the fullness that we now experience as Gentiles. He's using the small to get to the bigger. We as Gentiles have experienced so much grace and abundant um, salvation, in abundant salvation, but it's going to be even more so for the Jewish people at the end of days. That brings us to our first point. There will be a fullness of the Jews. In the end days, there will be a fullness of the Jewish people, meaning a full number will come to Him. That there will be salvation, redemption, on a large scale. Something that we can't comprehend fully right now. But on a large scale, there will be the redemption of the Jewish people in numbers, in droves. And that is, in the very last days, precipitating His second coming. So number one, there will be a fullness of the Jews. But the second part, he's going to come back to this point. He kind of goes all over the place. In verse 13, he pivots and he brings us to his second point, which is there will be a fullness of the Gentiles. Okay, so number one, there's going to be a fullness of the Jews. But number two, there's also going to be a fullness of the Gentiles that we are experiencing right now. For 2,000 years, those who have responded to Jesus as Messiah, proportionately percentage-wise, have been Gentiles. And we're still in that era of things where we are seeing the fullness of salvation for the Gentile people. Um, just to clarify, if you don't know what Gentile means, Gentile is a non-Jew. So right now, there are so many non-Jews who have looked to Jesus and made Him Lord and Savior, declared Him Lord and Savior, um, seeing Him as Messiah, that is the fullness of the Gentiles coming into God's uh, salvific plans. Uh, but He's going to come back to point one. There's also going to be a fullness of Jews. Okay, so here's point two. He's going to break this down in 13 through basically 24. we got a lot to cover. So look with me um, at verse 13. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Paul is a Jew but his ministry is to the Gentiles, specifically here, the Gentile church in Rome. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles insofar as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. He is an apostle to the Gentiles. And he loves it. He glories in it. It's all about, you know, that's what he's all about. He's proud of that. If... I might somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. His call is to the Gentiles. His call is to see Gentiles saved. But he also believes that his ministry to the Gentiles will somehow provoke the Jewish people into a, a jealousy that will see the truth, that, that, will, that God will use to open their eyes to the reality of Messiah. For if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world... They rejected Jesus, and almost as a consequence, He went to the Gentiles. If I might somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them, for why? If their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, to the Gentile people, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So right now, their rejection has created an open door for Gentiles to be saved, to enjoy the salvation of, of the Lord through Christ Jesus. But what Paul argues here next is, if the Lord has saved the Gentiles, how much more will He ultimately save the Jewish people? For if their rejection brings reconciliation to us, 
what will their acceptance in later days mean but life and death? They're going to receive the same salvation in the end days. Now, if the first fruits are holy, so the whole batch, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. What's the, the, the batch? I'm sorry, what's the first fruits? Who are the first fruits, church? In this analogy, the Jews, okay? Who is the whole batch? All Jews and Christians who believe in Messiah. The second metaphor, if the root is holy, who's the root? The Jewish people, Jesus Christ, but the Jewish people in this analogy, so will be the branches. And he's going to unpack this, those who have been engrafted in. If some of the branches were broken off, who is he speaking of? The Jewish people. If some of those branches were broken off, and you, pointing to the Gentiles, y'all, if you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. So here's, here's the metaphor he uses. There's the root who is Christ Jesus. He's the tree. He's the trunk. Stump of Jesse. And there's branches, and those were the Jewish people, but some of them were broken off. In their place was engrafted Gentile branches. All right, how many of you guys have like an orange slash lemon slash something else tree in your backyard? Right? It's like abnormal. It's not, it's not natural. This is the the metaphor that God is using here. It was a tree of Jewish root, but some of those branches were torn off, pruned, and engrafted into the trunk was the Gentile people. And look, of all nations, of all nations, of all ethnicities, not just a tree of one particular ethnic group, yeah, but that tree is very colorful now. It's not solely Jewish. It's all tribes, tongues, nations, colors. Yeah? Okay. So some of the branches were cut off. Others, though, were engrafted in. And he says this, don't boast. You as the Gentile church right now, you as in your Americana, your Westernism, and all that just, I don't know, the mess of your identity, don't boast. Don't boast. Why? Because you had nothing to do with it. Okay? Like that's underlining teaching through the last couple chapters. You had nothing to do it, do with it. And, and here's what he says. You do not sustain the root. Why should you boast? Because you do not sustain the root. You're just the branches. Nutrients come from where? The ground through the root system, it spreads to the whole whole entire tree. You're not the cause agent of this. You're not the energy, the power behind any of it. You're just a cute, beautiful branch. And you owe all of your greenage, your foliage, your life to the root. So don't boast. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. If you want to boast, boast in the root. If you want something to boast about, Boast in Christ, but not yourself, not your identity, but in Him and His identity. R.C. Sproul says, Even though their blood is not in our veins, their truth and their heritage 
are in our hearts. We might not have Jewish DNA, Jewish blood running through us, right? But the salvation that was originally promised to the Jewish people now runs in our hearts. This is why there's no place for any kind of anti-Semitism among Christians. All right, they were first. Praise God. But we get in also through His promises to Abraham and the rest of the Old Testament saints. He continues in verse 19. And again, we're talking about the fulfillment of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles. In verse 19, you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, those branches were broken off in a haughty, arrogant manner. He's like, no, true enough, but they were broken off because of what? Unbelief. So why were the branches broken off? Because of unbelief. Because of a lack of faith. And he turns here, he pivots, and he says, you might point your finger at them, and basically think you're better than them. But let me remind you, why were they broken off? Because of unbelief. Not because of superiority, not because of merit. They didn't believe. By God's grace, you believed. So that I might be grafted, true enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, but you, turning here, pivoting, how should you respond? But you stand in faith. So, so we talk about like any kind of criticism against the Jewish people, and we see a lot of it today in the news, yeah? There might be some of it in our heart. And we point the finger and we say something to the effect, well, you guys are nothing, you got torn out. But Paul says, they got torn out because of a lack of faith. What about you? What about you in your life? Are you truly living a life of faith in the root? Are you truly living a life of faith in Jesus Christ? May I ask what evidence that the Jewish people would even see about a life of faith that you demonstrate in Jesus Christ? Paul says the antidote is faith. And then he says, do not be arrogant, but beware. So, so do not be arrogant about your place in the fullness of God's salvation. What's the opposite of arrogance, church? Humility, that's what I, that's my go-to. I often think, okay, in, in contrast to arrogance would be humility, but that's not what Paul says here. He says, beware. He says that the opposite of arrogance is actually fear. That we ought to Fear what? Who? The Lord. That even as Christians, even as Gentile Christians in the fullness of His salvific plan, there's still a place for the fear of God within us to remember who He is and who we are. To remember His grace and His mercy. That salvation is only because of His mercy. It has nothing to do with our works. There's nothing to boast about. There should be no arrogance within our heart. He says, do not be arrogant, but beware. Why? Verse 21. 
Because if God did not spare those natural branches, the Jewish people, He will not spare you either. Think about the heaviness of this. This is God's people. And because of a lack of faith, a rejection by that lack of faith, God, Holy Yahweh, was willing and able to just cut them off. We see it in 586 with the destruction of Jerusalem and Babylon. We see it physically. But here, fast forward, like there's a spiritual severing that God has cut off. Why? Because of a lack of faith. What's the fear? The fear should be, am I living, walking in a life of faith? Is there any any way that God would look down on me and question my faith here's the question do i do i really have a saving faith or not or maybe am i just like someone who goes to church because my parents did i go to church because that's what you're supposed to do that i have an identity with christianity that's based more on culture than an identity that's based on my relationship in my faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I have a legitimate saving faith? Because if I don't, according to verse 21, the Lord won't spare me either. So beware. Fear. He will not spare you either. 22, verse 22, therefore consider, here's another imperative, Consider God's kindness and what? Severity. So like it's really easy for us to just focus on His kindness, yeah? We all want a good Jesus, right? A scary Jesus, though, is something else. A severe Father. We all want the loving Father, right? We want nothing to do with a severe Father, right? But Paul says you got to consider both. Consider the loving kindness in His grace and His mercy to save some. And on the other side of the coin, you also ought to consider the severity of a just God who does and will pour out wrath on the unjust, on those who do not have faith, on those who reject Him. Consider God's kindness and severity, severity towards those who have fallen, but God, but God's kindness you. Don't ever forget the doctrine of hell and judgment. Not getting happy about that, but crying about it. As you then also consider the salvation that we have. The good news, I've said before, is only as good as the bad news is bad. Right? Right? And the issue in the center of it, according to Paul, is faith. God's mercy received through faith. He says, I'm going to read it one more time, verse 22, Therefore consider God's kindness and severity, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you if you remain in His kindness. If, conditional, you remain in his kindness. So how do we remain in his kindness, church? 
by His grace, by His mercy, through faith. That we keep remembering day in, day out the abundance of His mercy. We keep remembering day in and out the, the fullness, the incomprehensible, unfathomable abundance of His grace. That we remember it's nothing that we can boast in, but it's the Gospel. That we are sinners and we deserve wrath, but instead we become saints because we received His grace and His mercy. He continues, otherwise you will be cut off. If you don't have faith, you will be cut off. Now, let me pause. Like, How is it at all possible to have faith? We've covered this in the preceding chapters. So this is the other side of the question. How do we get faith? In the other previous chapters, faith comes from God. Faith comes as a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Faith is itself a gift. And so if you have faith, it's because God has gifted you, blessed you, graced you in that. So faith. But if you can't faith, if someone can't faith, it's because God hasn't given it to them. And here, the consequence is, you too will be cut off. So if you're sitting here today and asking the question, do I have faith? That's a heavy question. That is the question. Can you have faith? Can you trust in this man named Jesus Christ who came, who died, who rose? Can you have faith in Him? And if you can, guess what? God has granted you that faith. Hold on to it. Cling to it. Verse 23, And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in. So they as the Jewish people they have been severed according to verse 22. But verse 23, they will not remain that way in the end times. They will not remain in unbelief. What? They will not remain in unbelief, but will be grafted in. Will be. Be is passive. It's an act of God. It's nothing they do. You can't graft yourself in. It's all by grace. Why? Because God has the power to graft them in again. That salvation belongs to the Lord. And here's the point. Right now, we're in the middle of the fullness of the Gentiles. But one day, there's coming the fullness of the Jewish people. And in that day, the Lord will graft them in again. Because God has the power to graft them in again. Just camp out here, okay? Do you believe that? How does that influence your conversations with other people? First of all, do you even have conversations with lost people? Like that's step one. Do you even know lost people? Friends? Family? Co-workers? Neighbors? But as you do life with non-Christians, do you believe that God has the power to graft them in? Do you believe that God has the power to save them? What's your role in that? It's to share the Gospel. It's to pray for them. It's to be salt and light. It's to love them. It's to associate with them. Seriously, it's step one. Some of you aren't doing it. 
It is to associate with sinners just like Jesus did. Even prostitutes, people. To associate with the worst of society. Are you doing that? And do you believe that God, not you, God, not your eloquence, God, not your maturity, God, not your title, God has the ability to engraft people, sinners, Gentiles, and Jews into His root as you just simply point them to Him. As you simply just share the good news. And will they have faith? I don't know. You don't know. They don't know. Because you haven't asked them yet. God knows. He's sovereign. He'll call people through your mouth. He'll call people to Himself as you and me and as we share the Gospel of the mercies of God for all people. Number one, for the Gentiles. Number two, for the Jews. Because God has this power to graft them in again. Verse 24, If you were cut off from your native wild olive tree and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their olive tree? This is the second time he's referred to the Gentile people as wild branches, right? Like, we were wild, crazy, twisted, bent, funky. And yet, what did God do? In His mercy, He grafted these wild, twisted, weird-looking branches into His tree. God did this in His mercy. If He can do that, for us, He can do that for anyone. If He can do that for us, then guess what? He can do that for the Jewish people. Turn on your news, read the stories. Everything that's going off over there is chaos, twisted, confused. No one has a handle on There's no path forward for solution. It is crazy messed up. No one knows what to do. People are killing each other, shooting at each other. Listen to this. Israel's doing all in their might. Israel is trying to save itself, deliver itself by tanks and rockets. And I have no condemnation for what they're doing. I really don't. You want to argue with me later? That's fine. We can have coffee, whatever. They have a right to defend themselves, blah, 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 this and that. But all their trust is in tanks and rockets and guns and soldiers. Not in Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. But here's the crazy thing. One day they will. One day, God is going to come down in clouds. And, 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 and the way this reads is they're going to believe in Him before He shows up. There's going to be this incredible change among scores of the Jewish people that, they, that the fulfillment of the Jews will occur and they will see the light. Because right now they don't. Right now, their hearts are hardened. Look at verse 25. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Guys, it's not really a mystery. It's been revealed to us. Here's the truth. I don't want you to be ignorant of all this. Brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited, so that you will not boast in yourselves. 
So you not think that you're all that as Gentile Christians, that you will not look down upon the Jewish brothers and sisters that are elect. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Now look at that word partial. It does allow for others. Like it's not, it's not 100%. We do have Christian brothers. I'm sorry. We do have Jewish Christian brothers and sisters, right? Some of you have friends with Jews who believe. So this partial hardening has come across, has come upon most of the, of the ethnic Israel though. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So we're, we're back at point number two. We're in the middle of the fulfillment of the Gentiles. Full, like, what does fulfillment mean, Scott? The full salvation of all the Jewish, of all the Gentile peoples. And during this time, this era, this echelon, there is a hardening going on among the Jewish people, though. So a softening among the Gentile, a hardening among the Jewish people. Until our time is up. Until that era of the fulfillment of the Gentiles comes to an end. And then what? It's going to shift to the Jewish people right before Christ's return. In this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God has promised He's going to do this. He has not abandoned them. That was one of Paul's questions earlier. He's going to do this just in His time just after his time with the Gentiles. And in the last days, the phrase is, all will be saved. All Israel will be saved. What do you mean by that, Scott? I don't know. Like the word literally is all in the Greek. And yet we know not everyone gets saved just because of blood and color of skin. It's faith. We know that in the, in the top part, a partial hardening is. So, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be every single one and he just gives them all faith or this is just representative of the nation itself, you know, a large number of them. That We'll figure that, we'll find that out later. But the point is, these prophecies from um, Isaiah and Jeremiah will finally be fulfilled. And there will be a large number of Jewish peoples who come to see, finally, Jesus Christ as Messiah. Now, 28, regarding the Gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. He's talking back then, 2,000 years ago. The Jews were upset with the Christians. Remember persecution in Jerusalem. Right now, there's adversity. There's conflict between the Jews. I mean, back then, there's conflict among the Jews and the, and the, the Gentiles, but also the Jews and the Christians. But that's for your advantage, Paul says. Because it, it showcases your election. It, it kind of proves as fruit your salvation. Regarding the Gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. So this goes back to the promises all the way to, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to Daniel the patriarchs, the saints of old, who the promises came to, who the promises were reiterated to. Here's the important phrase, verse 29, since God's gracious gifts and callings are irrevocable. If God says it, it's going to happen. If God gifts it, it's yours to keep. 
He's not a regifter. He's not a takesy backsies. The Lord God says something. He means it when He makes a promise. He cannot break it. God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. This is talking about salvation. It's not talking about a pastor, a missionary, a specialist. It's talking about our salvation in the Lord, whether it's here it's specifically for the Jews, but it has principalized truth for the Gentiles. Folks, this is why we believe once saved, always saved. God's gracious gift of salvation and His calling for salvation are irrevocable. If God has given you faith to believe, praise the Lord. Guess what? If God has given you faith to believe, guess what? He's going to continue to give you faith to believe. This is the perseverance of the saints. This is what we talked about in Revelation. Those who believe till the end will be saved. And those who believe to the end will be given that belief to endure to the end. Belief is not something we just muster up, we try harder at. Belief is something we go to God for. Right? In our moments of trial and hesitancy and doubt and fear and frustration and anger, we go to the Lord and we ask Him to help us believe. Amen? It's a gift and we need more and more of it every single day, don't we? Or we should. As the world gets crazy, as our family lives get crazy, as our workspaces get crazy, we need more faith. And we must go to the Lord just as we sang. We go to the Lord in prayer because He is our friend, because He does care, and because He supplies the faith. You want power? Faith precedes power. You want faith? You need to ask for it. As you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so they also may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that He may have mercy on all. So, their rejection caused mercy to be given to the Gentiles. But God's not done with the Jews. There's going to be mercy given given to them as well. We were all disobedient as Gentiles before He granted mercy. The Jews are now disobedient. But mercy comes to the Gentile and mercy will come fully to the Jew as well. This last line is important. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience. That's that's. I want you to look at some of these commands. How are we to respond to this this morning? Paul gives us four different commands in this section. What are we to do with this? I think we should lean into the commands He gives us. The first one is, what are we to do with this? So what? First one is don't boast. He says, do not boast in verse 18. You see that? Have you been boasting in your salvation? Let's let's reword that. Like, In what ways have you been boasting in your salvation? How much have you attributed your salvation to the Lord Jesus versus yourself? You know, what kind of statements do you make just casually that you're not even aware of that reinforce some kind of belief that you had anything to do with your salvation? Do you see your utter need for salvation or do you kind of just need Jesus? Like, do you really, really need Jesus or do you kind of just, just 
need them a little bit. You know, maybe on Tuesdays when that one person stops by your house or, you know, Thursdays when you go to the store and you have to deal with that cashier or as you're driving around and that person cuts you off like, okay, I I understand Jesus. I'm not too well off right now. So have mercy. Or do you need Jesus like completely? You know, how much are you boasting in Christ? Let's put it that way. How much do other people hear you boasting in Christ? How often does someone look at you strangely because you're pointing to Jesus instead of yourself? Like, to what degree are you the weirdo at work or in the neighborhood that you're always talking about Jesus? What does this mean? There is salvation for all. If we're here today, it's assumed that we have been granted that. But then there are so many else out there who have not, and they're just waiting. They're just hoping for something, for life. The life is in Christ. Open up your mouth. Boast in Him. Boast in Him. Boast in Him. Number two, we also see the second command here. Do not be arrogant, but beware. Is that the second one? Yeah. Do not be, do not be, um, sorry, I gotta read it, right? Do not be arrogant, but beware. So, again, don't boast, but don't boast and beware. There's a warning here, just as there was throughout Revelation. The true believer believes. The faithful faiths. If you don't have belief, if you don't have faith, then you will be severed. It's really as if you never were part of the tree to begin with. So if you lose that faith, don't. Right now, in your current context, how bad is it? In your current context, how bad is your life? Health? Relationships, mind, depression, anger, emotions. Like how bad is your life right now in those four quadrants? Are you trusting the Lord in all of them? Is the Lord only allowed space in maybe one of those quadrants? Or does he own it all? Does he have it all? Because here's the thing. If if the Lord is not sitting on the throne of every part of your life, then you're not faithing in Him. If the Lord is not sitting on the throne of every part of your life, you're trusting in yourself in that relationship that's broken, in that ailment of your body, in those emotional and mental, in in that emotional and mental brokenness. The, The Lord wants all of us. He wants us to trust Him in all things, not just some things. It's not a comparison game where it's like, well, I think I have more faith than Joe. That's not, that's not how it works. The, the question is, am I all in today? You know, when Thursday spins around and you, and you feel yourself like off kilter, I got the car, my car aligned again because it was just gravitating over, right? There's times in our spiritual life we feel like we've gravitated over. Like what happened? We gotta come back to Jesus. We gotta trust Him more. Give Him everything once again. Have you given Him everything? Because beware. 
If you haven't given them everything, folks, you basically haven't given them anything. Number three, the third command that we sitter, uh, that we see here is what? I don't have my notes. Consider. I thought it was because I had the err in there somewhere. Consider God's kindness and severity. Uh, and severity. Okay. So both sides of the gospel, his punishment, his salvation, his redemption, and his punishment, his wrath, his judgment. Consider both of these. It's very similar to the uh, the previous one. Um, and because of time, I'm just going to move, move on. The last one here. The last command that we see is an inference. It's not directly stated. This stated in the text more as a indicative. But the last one I think is inferred. Stand in faith. Are you living in faith? Do you believe that your eternal salvation is a gift of God that only Christ has done? And second, do you believe that your present circumstances are too much for the Lord? Do you believe your present circumstances are just unsurmountable for the Lord? Do you believe that He's unable to carry you through those? Do you believe He is not a strong and mighty Savior? Do you believe He can't deliver you from whatever it is? Sometimes God puts us through the fire. He puts us through the the trial in order to shape us and form us. Sometimes He wants us to suffer a bit so that we can become more like Him. So sometimes we're in that trial, but in the middle of it, are we trusting Him? Are we standing in faith? Are we standing in the faith that He's giving us, that He wants to give us? Are we trusting in ourselves or are we trusting in others? Again, when we look at the nation of Israel, it's, you know, it's, it might be easy to throw stones at them from a distance and whatnot, but I think the visual works. There's lots of tanks, there's lots of guns, there's lots of rockets, but there's no trust in Yahweh as, you know, Jesus as Messiah yet. But there is coming a day when the Lord will do another great movement and we will see something happening in the people of Israel that hasn't happened yet. And guys, listen carefully. When you start to see that, get ready. We talk about the Lord's return and different signs and things, but like this is one of the signs we've been given. When we see something supernatural, something spiritual happening over there, get ready. He's coming. He is coming, amen? May He come soon, but may we stand in faith as we wait. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You for uh, the completion of this long uh, arc of um, teaching about the Jewish people. Lord, those You do love still. Lord, we thank You for the promises that have now come to us through Abraham 
through Jacob and Isaac and Moses and David and all these prophets, Lord, and through Jesus Himself and the apostles. And Lord, just the awe, the humility, Lord, the the godly fear to remember once again, to recognize that it's all because of Your grace and Your mercy. Lord, that we didn't deserve any of it. We were on the outside of it for so many centuries. And yet You have called us to Yourself, to Yourself, Lord. Lord, that in Your great deep mercy, You have saved us. And so, Lord, this morning we give You praise. Lord, we give You thanks. Lord, we give You glory. And we come to You still needy. Help us to see our neediness if we're still proud in things. But Lord, this, in this moment, we come needy, we come expectant, we come asking You to move and bring new life into us to help us trust You more Monday through Saturday. Lord, to help us hold on to You. Lord, to help us to hold on to Your mercy because Your mercy is great. And we pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen.